much money are we talking about? Well, for four national spots, depending on how often it airs, it could be, uh, I don't know, somewhere in the neighborhood of $250,000. $250,000? you serious? How old are you? Ten. Did you say $250,000? Could be. How come you're not in school? Uh, today's a school day? Do your parents know you're here? No, my parents are dead. What commercial's gonna want me? Oh, it's for, uh, Sunburst Cookies. <clears throat> Who do you live with? I live with my sister Janice and her boyfriend. What do they think about you not being in school? <laughs> they don't think much of anything. She's a Scorpio and he's an idiot. <laughs> what do you get out of this? Standard agency commission. What's that? 10% on whatever you make. What should I pay you 10% for? Well, you need my expertise in coaching you. You need my guidance on uh, what to wear. You need me to tell you where the audition is. First of all, I don't need you to tell me what to wear. I'll give you 5%. <laughs> Thanks very much, but it's 10%. 6%. 10% and the conversation. 7%. 10%, it's a law, all right? It's in every standard agency agreement. This is not negotiable. Seven and a half. 10%, and that's it. Here you go. Separate, Separate checks. Welcome to Out of Touchstone. My name is Mike DeKalb. On the other end of the Skype line is my co-host, Chad Smart. Chad, we've come to the end of another year, 1993. Are you happy? Are you sad? Are you ready to look forward? Or are you ready to look back? Uh, yeah, it's been a long, long year just due to you know the reformatting of the, of the show, the number of films that we had, and stuff that have happened in our lives. But I am looking forward to 1994 mainly because there is a film that I found some information about back, I think when we were still in like 1986, 87, that I have been waiting. I've like, I almost, when I saw this information, I almost texted it to you, uh, texted, texted you to be like, do you know this? But I, I was like, no, I have to wait until we get to 1994. Cause I want to, uh, you know, let the surprise be shared with the audience. <laughs> Okay. And well, before we get into 1994, let's look back at 1993. Uh, when it comes to the Touchstone Library, they released 10 films that year. Uh, not as successful as previous years. They didn't manage a movie in the top 10. It was their lowest per film average that they've had in several years. Uh, and the best, the highest grossing movie that they released in 1993 was Sister Act 2, which only made $57.3 million, which is still good enough for 19th place. But uh, after that, you had The Nightmare Before Christmas, which was in 27th place with $50 million. Um, What's Love Got to Do With It made $39.1 million, which was good enough for 40th place. Uh, right behind that, Alive was 43rd place with $36.7 million. Um, the program made $23 million, which was good for 67th place. Uh, we had another stakeout, which was 75th place with $20.2 million. Indian Summer made $14.9 million, good for 88th place. Life with Mikey was in 96th place with $12.4 million. So eight of the ten Touchstone films did finish in the top 100. Uh, of course, the other two, we have The Cemetery Club, which only made $6 million and finished in 135th place. And lastly, uh, My Boyfriend's Back, which is a movie I know you and I both 
enjoyed. It only made $3.3 million, though, which was good enough for 153, third place, I should say. Uh, all told, in 1993, Touchstone Films uh, collectively grossed $263 million, which 10 films, that's good enough for $26.3 million average. Uh, that's down the, from the previous year, 1992, when they made $32.9 million. I see the peak was in 1990 when they had $45 million per movie. Of course, 1990, you had Pretty Woman. 1992, you had Sister Act. But again, eight of the top 10, or eight of the 10 Touchstone movies, I should say, finished in the top 100. Um, as far as the rest of the studio, I won't go into the specifics when it comes to Disney and Hollywood pictures. I'll just say that, you know, Disney did okay. They made $282 million, but they only released seven films. So they had $40 million per film. Now, that was, that's, six original releases and also the re-release of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Uh, they had five films finish in the top 40, headlined by Cool Runnings, which was 15th place and made $68.9 million. Uh, Three Musketeers, Homeward Bound, The Incredible Journey, Hocus Pocus, and the Snow White re-release also finished in the top 40. Hollywood Pictures didn't do as well. They made $210 million, but they released 11 films, so it was an average of $19 million per film. Uh, the highest-grossing movie that they put out was Tombstone, which made $56.5 million, which was good enough for 20th place. They also had movies like The Son-in-Law and The Joy Luck Club, both finished in the top 50. Chad, I still can't get over the fact that The Son-in-Law was a top 50 film in 1993. Should have been top 20, man. Should have been top 20. Yeah, just like Super Mario Brothers, which was 74th place. <sighs> Underrated, you know. underrated. People did not appreciate what they were given in 1993. But sometimes I feel like Hollywood Pictures was sort of designed to be the movies that were maybe too edgy for mm. Touchstone. And so those aren't necessarily going to be big box office hits. I mean, Aspen Extreme, Swing Kids, Blood In, Blood Out, Fatherhood were all less than 10 million ranked out of the top 100. And of course, their worst movie was Money for Nothing, which only made $1 million and finished in 192nd place. But on the bright side, if you count across all three studios, Disney did have 21 films in the top 100. And so I'm thinking around that time, 1993, there would have been about seven, if not eight movie studios uh, cranking out films. And so if to have Disney get one fifth of the top 100, I think that's still pretty good. Yeah, I'll take it. Yeah. But then as, as far as what was really good in 1993, Chad, I'll, I'll hand it over to you so that you can tell us what were the top 10 films in the box office that year? All right. I, you know, you mentioned the totals. I find it interesting that if you take all of Touchstone's films and add them together, they would have came in second place in the top 10 for 1993. Ah, so, crazy. Uh, yeah. And, and I mean, here, here are your top 10 for 1993 coming in at number 10 with only $84 million, which is like a Friday now, <laughs> you know, uh, it is the movie I like to refer to as Die Hard on the Mountaintop. It's Cliffhanger. Okay. Yeah. Never, never seen it. Still haven't seen uh, it. Number nine with ninety-six million is Schindler's List. Now that's surprising. I mean, that's a three-hour movie, and I think yeah. you and I talked about this before. Art versus commerce. Usually, the best pictures don't necessarily come out of a top ten film at the box office. Yeah. No, and especially given the subject matter and, like you said, the length. But I don't know. Maybe it's just you know the Spielberg success story or um you know maybe it, it's just a good movie to go and make out during <laughs> wasn't, that, wasn't that a seinfeld episode yes right? i dropped a seinfeld reference so anybody that knows me knows that i am not a seinfeld fan but i do know all the references so yeah it's it's like everything i know about the kardashians 
Same way about Seinfeld. I learned against my will. So, uh, number eight with a hundred million is the Pelican Brief. You know, we're in that John Grisham heyday. Oh yeah, yeah. Number seven with a hundred and two million is In the Line of Fire, which I, you know, thinking back, I think that's probably like the first film that I could think of where I really kind of knew who John Malkovich was, and he's just fantastic in that film. Okay, yeah, yeah. I think I saw that saw that years later, especially yeah. you know John Malkovich, our Illinois native, our homie from Southern Illinois, yeah. Who uh, has never been back in 20 years, I don't think. <laughs> oh, well, good for him. Uh, number six, and this one surprised me. It's with $106 million. It's Indecent Proposal. That, yeah, that's really shocking. I, I mean, I knew it was kind of a bit of a phenomenon with the premise and stuff, mm-hmm. but I didn't think it was a top 10 movie. Yeah, yeah I guess, again, Woody Harrelson. Yeah. I love him, you know. Uh, number five, with $126 million, you got, at the time, America's favorite Cinematic couple, Tom and Meg in Sleepless in Seattle. Oh, okay, nice. You know, I've still never seen that movie. Yeah. 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 Uh, spoiler: They go to bed. <laughs> They're not sleepless after <laughs> yeah. all. Uh, number four with 158 million. It's more John Grisham. It is The Firm. Nice. Okay. Still haven't seen that one either. Man, I'm, not, I'm surprised. I yeah. like I said, I was going to the movies a lot. in 1993. I did graduate, but still missed a lot of movies out here. Yeah. Uh, I'm just surprised that they changed the ending from the book because I think 30 minutes of Tom Cruise making copies would have been riveting. Oh, yes. Yes. Uh, number three with $183.8 million is The Fugitive. Ah, okay. That's, that was just a great movie. Crowd pleaser for sure. Yeah. And like I, I've probably mentioned it to you before, one of my favorite uh, post-fugitive notes is that neil flynn who uh, was the janitor on scrubs is a i think he's like a subway cop uh, in the in the movie the fugitive and there's an episode of scrubs where jd is watching the fugitive and sees the neil flynn character and then he goes back to the hospital and is like you're an actor and he's like no I'm, no i'm not shut up like <laughs> like just just the fact that they incorporated that into a storyline is pretty nice. clever um at number two with 219 million dollars hello just, just barely be barely underperforming touchstone's entire 1993 library it is mrs doubtfire okay. which is yeah. not you know a guy dressing up as an old english woman to spy on his family not creepy at all <laughs> well it's funny I, I mean when i was doing a lot of the box office analysis for touchstone i did notice yeah mrs doubtfire was the top of the chart most of the holiday season so that that's, that's believable that it would end up as a top 10 movie, top two movie, yeah. Yeah, there's a, a display here in Hollywood. It's, uh, I think it's called Icons of Darkness. It's this guy's personal collection of film, of film memorabilia, costumes and whatnot. And he has an entire Mrs. Doubtfire outfit. And it's like right next to, um, uh, not Jigsaw, but whatever the little doll is from, uh, the Saw movies and next to it, like, I think not a predator, but it's in with all these horror films like Chucky. And, <laughs> and it's like, Oh, that's yeah. Uh, but anyway, your number one movie for 1993 with $357 million. Jurassic park. Yeah. I mean, obviously that was such a total phenomenon. I remember my father, his brother, my uncle gave him a copy of the book and said, you have to read this. Mm-hmm. And my dad could not put it down and then told me, Oh my God, this is, you need to read it. And then when the movie, I told him they announced the movie, he was, he was so excited. And 
yeah, it's one of the one of the films that I actually did see in the theaters. I, we're going to get into a little bit more when we when we talk about the films in next year, or maybe we'll talk about it now. That I graduated high school in 1993. I did not go off to college until 1997. I spent those four years living at home with my parents. I was working at a, at a local. I worked a couple different jobs. I was also going to school at the local junior college. I did not go to the movies. I didn't have like close close friends. I was so busy with work and stuff. I became a big sports fan because I was just sitting around the house watching sports on TV all the time and playing video games. And and I'd rent the occasional movie, maybe The Crow or Clerks, Mall Rat, stuff like that. But there's a lot of movies I missed during that four years. I call it the vacuum. And so I think Jurassic Park was like one of the last movies that I did see. Ironically, I did, after we moved from Kentucky to Illinois, one of the first movies that I did see in Illinois was Son-in-Law. I did mm-hmm. see that in the theater, but our town only had, we had two movie theaters in the two separate towns near me, and they each only had two screens. So it was, we were kind of limited. But uh, yeah, so we'll, I'm curious to uncover some more of these, uh, these films in the next few years, I guess. I was the opposite from you. I was in college at this time, and when I was home, uh, my girlfriend and I, on the weekends, would go see a movie like almost every weekend. And at, at school, hanging out with film students, you know, we would go to the local multiplex a couple times a week. So. But shockingly, looking at the movies, I think we were seeing like all the non-popular films. So <laughs> maybe we just had, ex- you know, eccentric taste. Yeah, I'm still jealous though because I figured you probably got to see a lot of cool movies that I never did mm-hmm. or still have not seen to this day. I, I like Stallone; I can appreciate it. I'm just never just didn't get around to seeing Cliffhanger. I guess. Yeah, yeah it's Stallone <laughs> and John Lithgow. So I mean, can't go oh. wrong. Exactly. Janine Turner, right? Um, Okay, well, let's transition now to... uh, I was going to look and see how the Oscar nominations went out. Did did Touchstone manage to get any? I noticed in 1992 they did not. Granted, they only had six films, but this year we get ten films, and Touchstone manages to get three Oscar nominations. Well, including two for Best Actor and Best Actress in Angela Bassett and Lawrence Fishburne in What's Love Got to Do With It? And if you don't remember... The third Oscar nomination that Touchstone got was for Best Visual Effects for The Nightmare Before Christmas, which it lost to Jurassic Park. So I'll hand it over to Chad. You can tell us who were the other Oscar nominees and winners of that year. Basically, who beat Angela Bassett and Lawrence Fishburne? All right. Well, let's start off with the Best Supporting Actor. That was a field full of nominees such as Pete Possewaite in The Name of the Father. All right. We mentioned him earlier, Bitten, Illinois' own John Malkovich for In the Line of Fire. The guy I will always call Ralph Finnis because that's how letters work. It's Ray Fiennes in Schindler's List. Leonardo DiCaprio in What's Eating Gilbert Grape. I forgot 93 was his first, you know, his first nomination uh, coming off the success of Growing Pains. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm glad to see that he stuck with it and finally, finally earned an Oscar a few years ago. Yeah. Uh, and then your winner for best supporting actor was Tommy Lee Jones in the fugitive. Nice. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Great performance. Yeah. Great performance. And I remember, I mean, that's one of the memorable acceptance speeches, not necessarily for uh, what he said, but because at the time he was shooting the movie Cobb, which yes. was about type Cobb. And so he showed up with the bald, uh, you know, the haircut that made him look bald. And he's like, I just want you to know I am not bald. This is for a role. So I do remember that. Yeah. I do remember he had, it was basically uh, bald in the top and yeah. hair on the sides. Yeah. 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 Uh, for best actor, as you mentioned, Lawrence Fishburne, what's love got to do with it was nominated along with Liam Neeson for Schindler's list, Anthony Hopkins for the remains of the day, Daniel day Lewis for in the name of the father and your winner, Tom Hanks for Philadelphia. Okay. His I've first not seen that movie. Yeah. 
Uh, moving on to the Best Supporting Actress, Emma Thompson in The Name of the Father. Winona Ryder for Age of the Innocence, or Age of Innocence. This one I forgot about, Rosie Perez for Fearless, which mm-hmm. I know I saw that movie on video when it came out. don't remember a whole lot about it. It's uh, Jeff Bridges survives a plane crash. Yeah. So I can I, I can remember like the trailers yeah. or the like the ads and stuff, but yeah, I never saw it. Yeah, Holly Hunter for the firm, and your winner, and I believe youngest winner, I could be wrong, or maybe second youngest winner is Anna Paquin for the piano. That's right. Yeah, I think it was like her and Tatum O'Neill. I think yeah. were they're like around right that there, same yeah. age. Yeah, uh, and I I mean she was good in the piano, and it's nice mm-hmm. to see her go on to have a nice long career as well and stay somewhat sane and normal from being a child actor to. You know, navigating Hollywood. Anyway, mm-hmm. best actress. You had Deborah Winger for Shadowlands, Stalker Channing for Six Degrees of Separation. You mentioned Angela Bassett for What's Love Got to Do with It. And interesting, you had two nominees that were also nominated for Best Supporting Actress. The first being Emma Thompson, who was nominated for Best Actress for The Remains of the Day. And your winner, nominated for The Firm for Best Supporting Actress is Holly Hunter, who won for The Piano. Nice. And if memory serves, Emma Thompson, well, no, she won an Oscar the year before, but I think it was for screenplay, right? For Sense and Sensibility? I believe she was nominated for acting in that that year as well. Yeah, but she she got the writing nomination, a writing award, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. All right, going on to directing, you had Robert Altman for Shortcuts, which is a very interesting film. If you have not seen that one, I would highly recommend it, uh, mainly because it's got Huey Lewis. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, James Ivory, which I never realized that Merchant Ivory were two people. I just thought they were a production <laughs> company. Uh, he directed Remains of the Day. Uh, your, um, I think, front runner for the 2022 or 2023 awards um, for Power of the Dog, but Jane Campion was nominated for the piano. Uh-huh. Jim Sheridan won or was nominated for In the Name of the Father. And then your winner picking up uh, his first Oscar for directing and probably overdue at that time was Steven Spielberg for Schindler's List. Nice. Yeah. Um, do you know there's YouTube footage of him watching the nominees after uh, Jaws came out? And they thought he would get a directing nod uh, nomination for that, but he did not. So. Oh, no, no. Yeah. I don't know who put that up on YouTube, but it seems kind of cruel. So, uh, for best picture, you had, and stop me if you've heard these names before, you have Remains of the Day, The Piano, In the Name of the Father, The Fugitive, and your winner is Schindler's List, the movie that I consider to be the best movie ever made. That's surprising. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I mean, it is a powerful film. I, yeah. It's one of those ones I, I can't go back and watch it again. I, right. I watched it one night when I was in my dorm in college, and I'm like, it's good. I, I'm 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 good. I can I can move on. Yeah, I uh, I own I bought the two disc VHS collector's edition, and I own it on DVD. And I don't even think the DVD is open. It's just a movie that, yeah, it's not you're you're not going to throw that on just to be like, hey, it's Friday night. What do you want to do? Let's watch Schindler's List. Yeah, yeah. And if you haven't, I would say uh, see in the name of the Father. Yeah. That was a movie that when I, I I saw it in a film class in college, and my teacher was doing a lot of, of work with, uh, he wanted to, us to focus on the political intrigue and what was going on in Northern Ireland. We watched The Crying Game as well, but In Name of the Father is, is really good. Pete Postlethwaite and Daniel Day-Lewis and Emma Thompson, they're all fantastic. Same thing, kind of heavy subject matter. It's, you'd watch it once and then you're good, but it, you'd be glad that you saw it the one time. Yeah. So, Well, that's the Oscar Awards. 
What about the Ronnie Awards? This is where Chad and I give our picks for the best performances from touchstone movies of the past year, named, of course, after the man who was the, the first president of Touchstone Pictures, Ron W. Miller. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and start with uh, the best supporting actress, Chad. I My pick was Diane Ladd from The Cemetery Club. Mm. Uh, you know, I really thought that, that you know, the, that movie, you know, Ellen Burstyn kind of carries the picture, but I think the supporting cast in that film was really great. And I mean, you could easily pick Olympia Dukakis for for this mm. award as well, but I thought she was kind of a little one note, you know, just, I think Diane Ladd showed more range. You know, she was great comic relief and she was also a lot of, she also showed a lot of emotion, kind of had a lot of resentment towards her friends, especially Olympia Dukakis mm. for not being able to move on, you know, and I feel like in a way, the film really needed more of her. I think I mentioned it on that episode that um, I thought the movie was going to be more of an ensemble because on the video, on the, on the poster and on the cover of the DVD, it's just, it has all three women on it. But then it's really Ellen Burstyn's movie. And, and they kind of push the other two into the back. But I really thought Diane Ladd's scenes were, were fantastic. And she was my choice for the best supporting actress. Of course. Everybody's had enough. Yes. Always enough. Don't go too far. Don't have too much. Just enough. Well, tonight I've had enough. And I'm having more. When you die, you should have it written on your headstones. Here lie Doris and Esther. They had enough. When I die, it's going to read, Here lies Lucille she wanted more. Yeah, you know, we've talked on the previous Ronnie's about how Touchstone really doesn't have a a lot of strong female performances. And so mm-hmm. when it came time for me to pick, I, I knew who my best actress was going to be, but supporting actress, I'm like looking at the list of movies and being like, oh, okay, who's, you know, who stands out? Who who do I remember just by looking at the title? And so I I went just kind of a coin toss flip. I, I went with Kimberly Williams for Indian summer just because okay. I wanted to show Indian summer some love. And, um, I, I, you know, I, I figured she was probably the more I, Diane Lane was more the lead actress, if you will, in that ensemble piece. And so Kimberly Williams kind of won by default. <laughs> I had, I actually had Elizabeth Perkins as kind of like an honorable mention. She was what? Yeah, yeah. She's my honorable. She actually was my first choice. And then I crossed around and went with Kimberly, Kimberly Williams. Just, I don't know why. I was say, yeah. Is there any particular preference between her, between Kimberly Williams? What put her over the top? No, I, she's married to Brad Paisley. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well then who is your choice for best supporting actor of 1993? Yeah. And this is one, you know, that you could probably argue, is he a supporting or is he the main? Because, the movie, but I, I went with Danny Aiello for Cemetery Club. Ah, he was my honorable mention. Yes. Yeah. Uh, again, he, I don't remember any other male actor in that movie, you know, so he kind of wins for that movie by default, but everyone else in Indian summer were, were my uh, fallback nominees. Cause I, you know, I always want to go with Bill Paxton if you can, or Alan Arkin, but I just yeah. figured that Danny Aiello had a little bit more substance to his role than, than the guys did in Indian summer. Yeah, he was totally charming. He was probably one of my favorite parts of that movie, if not my favorite part. I kind of like Diane Ladd. I wish there was more of Danny Aiello. He was mm-hmm. he's so charming. He played that 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 widower, right? And yeah. it just ah, yeah. He he's the reason I I would tell people to to go watch the movie. Um, yeah, I thought about the Indian Summer people as well. I think Alan Arkin was probably my favorite in that movie. 
But my choice for best supporting actor, and he's going to become. I, we got to we got to meet this guy at some point. <laughs> so we can talk to him about his touchstone career, and that of course is Vincent Spano from Alive. Uh, you know, I think it's easy to get lost in like this the ensemble of actors, mm-hmm. especially since they all kind of resemble each other right. when they're growing beards in the mountain. You know, but I think he really sh- he really shines when he got his turn. Like, you know, he showed a lot of frustration at his teammates for their actions on the mountain, but he also shows restraint. You know, he exhibits a lot of great leadership qualities. And, you know, I thought it was just a, a solid performance from it's turning out to be a very underrated actor that I don't really know a lot of. And I'm going to have to see what else he's been in. But I thought he was fantastic and alive. Yeah. Yeah. My other audible mention uh, would have been Philip Hoffman in My Boyfriend's Back just <laughs> because he plays such a good dumb jock. So. Oh, I didn't even think about the, <laughs> the performances in that movie because then Austin Pendle. I mean, I thought about yeah. Edward Herman. Edward Herman right. was kind of funny, you know, and Mary Beth Hurt. But um, uh, Austin Pendleton, Austin Pendleton was really good in that as well. But uh, yeah, it's hard to. I don't know if that was known for its acting. It's a wack, <laughs> It's a wacky movie. I wish people right. could go see it. But uh, all right, well, for Best Actress, I, I really think it, it, there was really two choices mm-hmm. for that year, and I think I mentioned it on the episode. I just. I thought there was going to be a little bit more Angela Bassett in that movie. I was not mm. like totally enamored with her. Mm. And so my choice for best actress was Christina Vidal from Like with Mikey. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I just, I really thought it was a total star making performance. You know, she's got a lot of great chemistry with the other young actors in the mm. film, especially David Krumholtz, another good, he should have got some supporting actor consideration. Yeah. David Krumholtz is, was great in that movie. But, you know, she's good with the other young actors, but then she also holds her own against, you know, some acting heavyweights like Michael J. Fox and, and Nathan Lane. And she just carried herself with the charisma of a veteran actress. And I, I think maybe I'm just trying to be contrarian because the mm. obvious choice is Angela Bassett. But I, I think she kind of she gets a little overshadowed in that movie by by her co-star. And, and where like with Mikey, this was supposed to be Michael J. Fox's movie. And to me, it's. Christina Vidal's movie, and she was my choice. I can't argue with the point you made, and I, you know, I completely forgot about uh, her role in Life with Mikey. Uh, not her role, but her name I didn't think about. Um, so, yeah, I went with the obvious choice of Angela Bassett just because looking at the list of films, I'm like, okay, which actresses really stand out to me memorably now, months la- later after watching these films, and, and Angela Bassett was, was there. But like you said, Christina Vidal is uh, – for people who have not, have not seen Life with Mikey, would definitely recommend checking it out for her performance. Yeah, and I think people should watch what's got to do with it for Angela Bassett's performance yeah. as well, right? Like, it's just, I just, I felt, like I said, I, I think I mentioned on the episode, she did a lot of reacting, not mm-hmm. acting. Like, yeah. it just, stuff happened to her. She didn't really drive the plot as much as I was hoping. And, and I mean, and she's great, but it's, yeah, I mean... Oscar nomination. She got Oscar nomination, and and now she gets a Ronnie Award from from Chad. Yeah. So, uh, and then this might be one of the most one of the most slam dunk categories we've ever had in the Ronnie <laughs> Awards, Chad. But who is? I'll not even. I'm not even going to say your best actor. I'm going to say our best actor for 1993. Oh, I mean, it has to be Craig Schaefer for the program. <laughs> uh, no, it is Lawrence Fishburne because, as I said on the show, I didn't realize. Not that I didn't realize, but I got lost in the performance. Like I was not watching Lawrence Fishburne. I was watching Ike Turner or at least, you know, a rep- representation of Ike Turner, Ike Turner in that movie. Just so yeah. good. Yeah. I wasn't overly familiar with his work. Like I didn't see Apocalypse Now until years later. I mean, I'd, mm-hmm. I'd seen Boys in the Hood and I'd seen Deep Cover because I was really into rap music at that mm-hmm. time. So it was like 
oh, who is this guy? He'd been acting since the late 70s. Yeah. And you're right. Like, the, the movie is supposed to be about Tina, but Ike absolutely steals the show. You know, it's a, it's a just a totally magnetic performance. He commands the screen whenever he's on it. You know, he like perfectly walks that line between like a suave, smooth talker mm -hmm. and a physical abuser. Right. Like you can see why Tina would have fallen for him and then also why she had to leave him. You yeah. know, and I, I mean, go, I go without saying no disrespect to anybody else we've discussed on this show. But this is probably the best acting performance I've seen in a Touchstone film so far. Yeah. And that covers the what the first 10 years of Touchstone. Mm -hmm. You know, I had to rack my brain to think about what would come close to it. Would it be Robin Williams and Dead Poet Society or something like that? But yeah, Lawrence Fishburne's fantastic. Look here, if you let Anna May work with me, I guarantee you she'd be making big money in no time. You're telling me Anna May sang that good? And put it like this, I could get anybody in St. Louis to sing in my band, but I won't, huh? Think about it, let her come to a few rehearsals. Let me work with her. You're welcome to sit in if you like. You have my word as a gentleman. She'll be under my protection. You know, I noticed my boys crushed some of your flowers accidentally outside. That should cover the damages. You'll be expecting her around 7 o'clock this evening. It's been a pleasure meeting you, Mrs. Bullock, and uh, you have a nice day. I mean, I, and the, 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 one of the toughest things for me was did you honorable mention? I, the only thing I could think of was Michael J. Fox and Mike with Mikey. You know, I don't know if you had an honorable mention in this category. Like you said, maybe the Alan Arkin and in Indian Summer, but you know, yeah, there's really not. Like you said, Alive is more of an ensemble piece. Like I couldn't even pick the pick those actors out of a lineup. Um, so, yeah, there really was not any other standouts in this. Yeah, I mean, I'm not. It's there's no one from the program or mm -hmm. another stakeout. So, I mean, it. it I, I feel like Lawrence Fishburne would have won it even in a competitive year. Right. But this was not the most competitive <laughs> year for him to win it. Yeah. And then the same thing with with the best picture. I I'll I'll start. I, I mentioned on the show. I just could not stop gushing. But my best picture was The Nightmare Before Christmas. And I mean, and I, again, I, one of the movies that I'm really upset with myself for not having mm -hmm. seen it sooner. I think I said I. I didn't see it until it was re-released in theaters in 2006 when Disney showed it in, in 3D. But I just it was it was an incredibly original fairy tale told by some very talented filmmakers. You know, I think Tim Burton gets a lot of deserved credit, but the stop motion animation directed by Henry Selleck is just absolutely top notch. I mean, it's it's so popular that Disney kind of retook the ownership of the film and now features it prominently at their theme parks. You know, it's it's also a it's a Christmas time staple on cable television and. You know, uh, the songs and the melodies are, are very memorable. And it was just, it was such an enjoyable time. I'm glad it's streaming on Disney Plus, not a sponsor. And it's just that, that quick little 80-something minute runtime. Mm -hmm. And I, I just, I was, I had the warm and fuzzies like the whole time I was watching the movie. And so I'm, I'm glad we got to watch it again for this podcast. Yeah, I was not, I did not gush about it as much as you did on the show. And I said it's probably because I've seen it so many times. And just when I re-watched re it for the episode, I just, was not in the right frame of mind, but I am going with nightmare before Christmas as my favorite film of 1993 as well. Even though, oh, okay. even though, you know, I'm going to say that my boyfriend's back is probably on my <laughs> now go to list of films that I will make people watch just to, uh, have them question my sanity. But, yeah. uh, you know, my boy, boy, my boyfriend's back is just a fun, goofy film. Uh, if, if Hollywood pictures were eligible for this, award it would have gone to super mario brothers just because everyone should watch super mario brothers but yeah nightmare before christmas <laughs> is it's 
an amazing achievement in filmmaking. I've read these Christmas books so many times. I know the stories and I know the rhymes. I know the Christmas carols all by heart. My skull's so full it's tearing me apart. As often as I've read them, something's wrong. So hard to put my bony finger on. Or perhaps it's really not as deep as I've been led to think. Am I trying much too hard? Of course, I've been too close to see. The answer's right in front of me. Right in front of me. It's simple, really. Very clear, like music drifting in the air. Invisible, but everywhere. Just because I cannot see it, doesn't mean I can't believe it. You know, I think this Christmas thing is not as tricky as it seems. And why should they have all the fun? It should belong to anyone. Not anyone, in fact, but me. Why, I could make a Christmas tree. And there's no reason I can find I couldn't handle Christmas time. I bet I could improve it, too. And that's exactly what I'll do. <laughs> Eureka! This year, Christmas will be ours! Yeah, well, if Hollywood Pictures were eligible, I think Son-in-Law would be my, my best picture <laughs> of the year. But yeah, I'm in the same boat. And, I, and I'm not just, again, not trying to be weird and contrarian. My honorable mention was My Boyfriend's Back. Yeah. Like, I really think that, like you said, that's a movie that I'm going to be telling people to watch. I'm going to, especially when Halloween rolls around. And I mean, it, I think it was streaming on Hoopla. I would be tempted to watch it again next year, especially, like you said, if we could find somebody who hasn't seen it. Yeah. You know, it would be fun to kind of introduce them to it. Yeah, I bought the uh, Blu-ray because I'm like, I will watch this movie again. So. Oh, you did buy the Blu-ray? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, Chad, I'm curious to see for your choice for best soundtrack. What would that be? Uh, you know, I was going to go the Cemetery Club, but uh, no, I went with uh, Nightmare Before Christmas because oh, okay. it's a song, you know, I, Again, I don't pay attention to soundtracks in the same way that you do. So when I'm looking back at these, I'm like, okay, which songs are memorable to me? And I think probably because of 30 years of having the Nightmare Before Christmas soundtrack, it's just, you know, that I mean, the opening song alone, you, you're you're humming and, you know, humming along after you hear it for the next week. So, yeah, yeah, it was my choice as well. I mean, like you, I think you mentioned it on the show, but they did those live shows at the mm-hmm. Hollywood Bowl and. And it just take that soundtrack to another level. You know, I mean, I, I know I'm a little biased because I'm a Danny Elton, especially an Oingo Boingo fan. But, yeah, the songs are just like the right amount of quirky to not be too off-putting as mm-hmm. they get stuck in your head. You know, they create mood and atmosphere as well as character emotion. You know, it's like it's typical of a, of a really strong musical. Like you said, the very first song, there's like it sets up like an overture where you're mm-hmm. introducing the whole scene, the, the scenario and all the different characters in one song. And then obviously you've got Jack's like soliloquies. You've got the song, what's this, which again, I still mm-hmm. hear in TV commercials. Now you even have Sally's song, which is just really, really powerful. But yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, my honorable mention was what's love got to do with it just because they, they did have a great use of those yeah. of Ike and Tina Turner's catalog. But, but again, I, yeah, you're right. I don't own nightmare before Christmas soundtrack, but I, I did see that it's on Amazon Music. I'll probably be listening to it on a regular basis now. Yeah. Yeah. And I have to go with my honor, honorable mention was My Boyfriend's Back just because it had a song from the Mickey Mouse Club. <laughs> of course. Of course. Well, we, we always have to have a little fun at the end of the show and, and kind of give our choices for the most surprising and most disappointing film of the year. Uh, I'm going to start. I think there were a lot of choices, actually, Chad, for mm-hmm. most surprising but the one I'm going to go with was Life with Mikey. Mm. Um, you know, I really thought that this movie was going to be lighthearted and fluffy, like strictly for kids. 
but I was just completely charmed by it. I mean, you mentioned it when you were talking about Nightmare Before Christmas that you weren't in the right frame of mind. I was like, I was, mm-hmm. I think when I, I sat down to watch this movie again, also streaming on Disney plus, not a sponsor. Um, I just, I said, I'm in the mood to just sit and watch a movie. And it charmed me so well in the 90 minutes that it had. I, I mentioned Christina Vidal is amazing. Michael J. Fox is always solid. The supporting cast, we get Nathan Lane, David Krumholtz. They're fantastic. And it's just, it's one of those movies that I wish more people would, would see, you know, I'm hoping maybe Disney plus might might allow it if people if people are searching for movies and they come across it because I think they're going to be surprised with what they see. Yeah, interesting choice. I mean, fine choice because uh, I'm with you. It it was a surprise to me how how non cheesy, not you know it it had some depth and some heart to it. So that's yeah. that. But you know, I have to go with my boyfriend's back because I was yeah. expecting dumb. Just, you know, stupid, low budget, cheese fest film. And I got that, but I got it in a way that it's good and makes me want to keep coming back and watching it more and more. And every time I watch, you know, I watched it twice before we recorded the show and just seeing new things. And, you know, like I said, you got Philip, Philip Hoffman, you got Michael Fox or Michael, not Michael Fox, Matthew Fox in there, Austin Pendleton, uh, Edward Herman. It's just a great supporting cast. And Again, I just love a good cheesy film, and my boyfriend's back just piled it on and gave me lactose intolerance. <laughs> oh, look at you. You're a mess. Just crawled out of the grave, did you? I guess so. Isn't that something? <laughs> Been a long time since anybody came back from the dead. I think the last time was uh, Thanksgiving, about 15 years ago. Hey, wait a minute. Did you say come back from the dead? Yes. You're now one of the undead, Johnny Dingo. Doomed to spend the rest of your days shunned by the human race. (laughs) Whoa, where are you going? Home. No, you're not. That's what I'm trying to tell you, Johnny Dingo. You can't ever leave the cemetery again. I'm not going to live in the cemetery the rest of my life. I got a date Friday night. I'm very sorry. You'll have to break for date. You're crazy. I'm going to the prom with Missy McLeod. I'm sure she's very nice, but you still can't leave. Only death awaits you among the living. I am among the living. You're undead. Hey, look, just because I crawled out of a grave doesn't mean I'm a friggin' zombie. Does if you were dead before you went into the grave. Okay, look, I admit, maybe I got shot. But I didn't die. You're very unreasonable. (laughs) Excuse me, where do you think you're going? How could I be dead? I've never felt better in my life. <laughs> I'm in love. Well, yeah, those are the two. Those are the two movies. I, I think that, that we're leading as far as trying to choose between one or the other. And I think the only difference is I had a think. I had a thought. Maybe I might enjoy my boyfriend's back from like a quirky cult mm. standpoint. Whereas, like I said, like with Mikey, I just I wasn't really expecting a whole lot of it. And just I left to put a smile on my face for almost the entire runtime. Uh, all right, Chad. We don't dwell on the negatives too much, but. Let's go ahead and say, Chad, what was your most disappointing film of 1993? Well, you know, to put a positive spin on it, these are not necessarily bad films, but these are yes. movies movies that I think, you know, like with my boyfriend's back, limited expectations. So that's a good surprise. Whereas mm-hmm. my my pick for biggest disappointment was a movie that great ensemble cast. I was like, oh, this is going to be really good. And, it, and it's good. I will watch this again. It just didn't live up to the expectations that I had. And it's Indian Summer. Uh, my choice as well. Yeah. Like I said, you just, you've got a great cast. I think you've got a great 
story in there somewhere. It just, all the pieces didn't come together. Yeah, I think, I mean, there were some underwhelming films from Touchstone this year, but this is the one that I had the highest hopes for. Our, our friend Pam is a huge fan, and she's like, oh my God, I can't wait for you guys to see Indian Summer. And again, that cast, yeah. you, you can't go wrong. And like you said, I think we've talked about it on that episode. It, there's, it's just, they're just there. Mm-hmm. There's not much of a plot. It doesn't really move. You know, you're, all you're doing is just watching actors act, and there was yeah. really not a whole lot extra to it. You know, the funny part was, Whenever I do my notes, I always copy my previous year's Ronnie Awards, and then mm-hmm. I just remove all the, the the winners, and then I plug in. And my most disappointing film from last year was Crossing the Bridge. You know, <laughs> so it was like, you know, I wasn't overly thrilled with with Mike Binder's you know work on that film, but this one I thought was going to be worth watching just for the cast alone. And I, like I said, it's it was nothing more than the cast. It was a collection of scenes yeah. that that weren't really, that were that weren't really tied together. Lots of unanswered questions and. You know, again, it's this is a filmmaker who was just telling his life story, but it, just with a bunch of parts that weren't really all that interesting to me. Yeah, I will make uh, analogy to a, a recent film that is available on Amazon Prime, also not a sponsor, and that's the Tender Bar. I don't know if you've seen the billboards up around town. It's the new George Clooney directed movie with Ben mm. Affleck, where I watched it, and it's a fine film. But when it was over, I'm just like, what was the point of it? It was it's based on a uh, on a memoir. But I'm just like, okay, great. You had a life where you, you know, came up and went to college and became a writer. Like, there's nothing there. And that's how I felt with Indian Summer, where it's like, you know, give me a little bit more backstory on these characters. Give me something for them to be invested in other than just a nostalgia trip to the camp. Yeah. that's Like I said, it was more that it was it was basically this. The director was just like, man, I went to this this summer camp. I'm going to make a movie about it. Yeah. And I think, it, and he actually filmed it where 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 he went, right? Or, or I think so. Yeah. And that's yeah. that's all it was. It was a love letter, which is fine, but just it didn't work as a movie. But yeah. uh, one conclusion, I mean, again, it's not a terrible year from Touchstone, but I would say far from great. You know, right? Mm-hmm. We had we had star making performances from Christina Vidal and Angela Bassett and Lawrence Fishburne. You know, both got Oscar nominations as well. Uh, you know, we get the groundbreaking animation of The Nightmare Before Christmas, but I just thought, like, you know, nothing else really stood out. I mean, we, we were surprised by My Boyfriend's Back. That was, that was, I was happy to see that. But when you look at the rest of it, you know, like, the program was just overly melodramatic. And it's ironic that that movie is more known now for the, for a scene that's not even in the film, right? That's the, right. sort of the legacy and claim to fame of it. You know, we get two sequels that, were both, I thought, totally unnecessary in mm-hmm. Sister Act 2 and another stakeout, you know, but at least, like I said, we had my boyfriends back. I don't know. Is there any any other thoughts you had about the Touchstone films from 1993, Chad? Uh, just, I mean, we talk about it at the end of every episode about the Disney or the Katzenberg idea of, of singles and doubles. And I think 93 was a year of a lot of fielder choice singles, mm-hmm. you know. Infield, infield squib, yeah. beat him out for a single. <laughs> yeah, there's not really a lot that, you know, probably was going to be at the top of the box office list, but there are some good films in there. And, you know, one of the reasons we do this podcast is to go back and look at films, not necessarily just from our, you know, our teenage years or, or early adult years, but also to go back and look at films that aren't big budget franchise pieces that seem to be the the most of what we see today. So it's to go back and see and appreciate these smaller films. And, and these, you know, I think the majority of them fit into that, uh, 
that ideal right now. Yeah. I mean, again, that's why we started the podcast, right? And I, yeah. I, I'll, I'll thank you once again, Chad. It's been a couple of years, and I, thanks for coming along with yeah. me. I, again, I, I, we talked about it. Uh, I got the idea from I watched Sister Act and the remake of Lion King back-to-back days, and it just it was like that, that weird dichotomy of this is what Disney's doing now, and this is what they were doing 30 years ago. And like I said, I missed a lot of these movies. We, we know this logo you know, and, and it was, it's fun to kind of revisit some of these. Again, I don't think I can watch a live again. That movie really mm-hmm. stuck with me, you know, but I'm sure I'll come across like with Mikey or definitely Nightmare Before Christmas, my boyfriend's back. Mm-hmm. And then I'm also, once again, I'm really glad that we did this reformat because it was great to finally see the Joy Luck Club. Mm-hmm. You know, Swing Kids was just, oh, yeah. I was so blown away by that movie. I'm so glad I got to see that. You know, Tombstone is a, just a great crowd pleaser. Plus, you know, Son-in-law and Super Mario Brothers are just absolutely sublime mm-hmm. and remain, they're, they're just, they're, they remain completely fun and watchable. You know? Yeah. I, and that will be my you know last statement, I guess, for the show is if you've not seen Super Mario Brothers, if it just go in and realize, it's, I think I said it on the episode, but forget that, you know, that there is a video game that it is supposedly based on. And just enjoy Super Mario Brothers for what it is. And that is just a a, a fun, wacky film. Time capsule, yeah. right? It's a total time capsule of that of that early nineties era with the soundtrack and and the, some of the well, the costumes and stuff like that. It's yeah. And then as far as Walt Disney Pictures is concerned, you know, I mean it was great to see I, I, it was great to see the adventures of Huck Finn. Like yeah. I, that was another one of those movies that you come across it on Disney Plus, not a sponsor. And, and I'm, I think I mentioned it on that episode, but I watched it right around Juneteenth, which shows you how long it's taken us <laughs> for us to get through this year. Okay. Um, so that was kind of got a little bit of extra emphasis, you know, and I also really liked, you know, a far off place. It was mm-hmm. one of those ones that was like it was Ethan Embry. It was Reef Witherspoon when they were younger. And it was kind of an interesting premise. And those are the you know, I know that Disney's market is you know aimed at kids and family friendly. But, um, you know, the other films that they put out that year, they, you know, that, they kind of fit that mold. But at least we got those two in particular. And, you know, in 1994, I think it's going to be a lot of the same. I mean, you know, there's a few more um, franchise pictures. There's some holiday staples. But uh, Disney's Disney, you know. And I'm, so I'm glad that I'm seeing these movies that, again, I miss in the theaters as well. But uh, And like I said, I don't want to sound like a broken record, but I'm not overly excited about 1994. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's, there's plenty of films I've never seen, you know, even though I do remember the trailers and stuff. But I will say that, you know, I'm not eager – there's, I said there's very few of them that I'm eager to watch, you know. Mm. I'm hoping that I'm going to be pleasantly surprised, though, Chad. I will say that, you know, like I'm hoping that we get something like The Doctor yeah. or Spaced Invaders or Oscar, you know, or Swing Kids within 1994. I, don't, I mean, you, you said there's one movie in particular, but I don't know if you had a chance to look at the Disney and Hollywood slates. But, uh, again, there's got to be a diamond in the rough in there somewhere. Yeah, well, yeah, in 94, for Hollywood pictures. There is one good film that I've seen that I think uh, you'll you'll enjoy. And on the Touchstone pictures, I've seen four of the films. Uh, they were fine. You know, two of them are I think really good, and the other two I remember liking them when I saw them thirty years ago. Um, we'll see how they hold up. And I haven't looked at the Disney slate, but yeah, I, I mean, I think there's enough variety in the films, and that that I think that's a bigger component too of why I enjoy this show is because I'm not just watching, you know, all action movies or all tear jerk dramas. It's, you know, you, you get the drama, you get the comedy, you get the kids movies, you get the serious. Again, this is back when they were making movies 
that were somewhat aimed at certain quadrants instead of trying to just please everybody. Yeah, yeah, and I think like there's a couple, there's some sports movies coming up in 1994 that I've not seen. You know, there's a movie Hollywood Pictures puts out a movie that I've heard several times being described as being like a Hitchcockian thriller, mm. and I'm really excited about that. Um, Touchstone puts out ten movies in 1994, and I've only seen two of them, so I will watch them with an open mind. Even though mm-hmm. Touchstone Hollywood next year 1994 have also put out some movies that are notorious <laughs> for being big flops, but Let's see how we go around. And so on our next episode, we're going to crack right into the beginning with the very first Touchstone film. Uh, It's going to be shenanigans and a coming of age uh, amidst adventures on the high seas. And what movie is that? Well, you're just going to have to tune in next time to find out. Once again, my name is Mike DeKalb. You can find me on Twitter at Mike DeKalb. I also run the Out of Touchstone Twitter account. It's at Out of Touchstone. You want to shoot me an email? It's outoftouchstone at gmail.com. Chad is also on Twitter. It's at Chad Smart. He is the host of another podcast that he and I do together called Wonder Why, where we discuss one-hit wonders. Uh, You know, I guess that's it, 1993. Chad, Mm -hmm. we move on to 1994. Any final messages for the listeners? Uh, I was trying to think of what was a popular song in 1993 that I could steal a catchphrase from and and, and bust out, but uh, I don't know what that was because I wasn't listening to popular music in 1993. So I'm going to say... Yeah, goodbye, 93, hello, 94. Whoop, there it is. <laughs> this is out of touchstone, and we're out of time. You're out of touch, I'm out of time. Out of Touchstone is a Honey Nerds production. For more information, visit outoftouchstone.com. Like and subscribe on iTunes, Podbean, or wherever you find your podcasts. Thanks for listening. So, you're cool, I'm cool, we're cool, thank you, good night.